Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is August 20th, and this is the Bruins Beat on CLNS Media. And welcome back to the Bruins Beat on CLNS Media. My name is Evan Marinovsky, back for another week of Bruins Talk. And just a disclaimer before we get into today's podcast, um, I had all four of my wisdom teeth taken out on Wednesday. So, like, four days before we recorded this. So. My voice might sound a little weird. I can't really fully open my mouth. Um, you know, this is obviously the Michael Jordan flu game, Kurt Schilling bloody sock, and then there's the Marinovsky Wisdom Teeth podcast, which will be this. So this will live in, live in with legends. This is going to be incredible. You know, I'm just fighting through it this entire podcast. Just terrible mouth pain. I can barely open my mouth, but I'm just fighting through. I got the ice on my face as I'm talking. It's really great. I'm telling you. Um, but at any rate, there's not much to talk about with the Bruins. So I'm sick of constructing the salary cap and doing that because I don't think that's great listening. So this week I had on Marissa and Jamie of the Boston Herald and it's getting to the point where we're at the end of, the, of a decade. We're at the end of a decade, 2010 to 2019. Obviously this is the back half of 2019 and now it's time to take a look back. So that's going to be happening, happening a lot in different articles I write for clmsmedia.com. We'll probably do some videos for our YouTube channel, and we're going to do some podcasts dedicated to that as it gets closer. So why not do it right now? So we started um, not from an all-team perspective. We started from the, the biggest disappointments of the decade, um, which spanned from 2010 to now. And I think we both put up stuff, me and Marissa, that probably wouldn't think of. Um, definitely let us know on Twitter or wherever you want to let us know at. Um, if you disagree, if you think there are disappointments we didn't talk about, what was sort of your biggest, I think there's one that's fresh in people's minds that might actually be number one. Marissa disagrees. Um, so at any rate, let's dive right in. And here's my conversation with Marissa and Jemmy. And we're here with Marissa and Jemmy. Marissa, what is up? Hey, how are you doing? Good, good. What are you? How's your summer going? Pretty good. I'm currently in Annapolis, Maryland. Uh, just been kind of chilling and running around and not being around hockey rink, which is wild. Has that been tough? Sort of, you know, you're doing hockey all the time, and now you're sort of just like wound down. I think Jack Edwards was talking about that a few weeks ago. It's very, very weird because you have like these months at a time where it's like your entire life and you're anchored to it. And it's like super stable and then all of a sudden you have nothing and have to figure out like what to do. And it's very, very weird. 
weren't you on call for a really long time just in case Charlie McAvoy or Brandon Carlo resigned? Yeah, basically, like, days aren't working. I was just sitting there, like, can someone do something? It's funny, because my first vacation I took at the start of July, I was, like, waiting the whole 4th of July week, and nothing happened, and I was so bored. And then literally the night, like, my first vacation night at 11 p.m., Danton Heinen signed. And I was like, yeah, of course that's going to happen now. So now that, like, I'm not working, I'm fully ready for, like, McAvoy's definitely going to sign, and I'm not going to be able to do anything with it. So that's how these things work. It's, um, it's very weird. When do you think that'll happen? You think it happens like late, late at night? You think it happens in the middle of the day when it's convenient for everybody? When do you think both of these things occur? Oh, it's going to happen at a super inconvenient time, like Friday at 6 p.m. or like a Sunday morning or like 11 p.m. at night like Danton Heinen. It's definitely not going to be easy for anyone. I agree. I bet it does too. All right. So um, for this podcast, we really don't have much to talk about. Obviously, there's like legitimately nothing happening with the Bruins. Like we could talk about how Carson Coleman is going to be the second line right wing. <laughs> That's for like later this month, and I don't want to talk about that right now. What I do want to talk about <laughs> though is, you know, lately I've been seeing these all-decade teams done by the Athletic. And, you know, you sort of start to think, like, holy crap, we're getting to the end of the decade. And that's the time where we look back and we sort of, you know, recollect things that maybe we forgot about. Um, And the first – this is going to be the first podcast for Bruins Beat done on looking back at the decade. So 2010 to now 2019. 2019 is basically over. Pretty much is. All right. Um, I don't expect a ton monumental to happen in the regular season up until December. So these seem kind of safe. Today – Marissa and I, we are going to look at the biggest disappointments of the decade. So I'm going to start. I'm going to start. And I think the biggest disappointment actually happened this year. The biggest disappointment of the decade, and you could maybe even like put this into the whole Bruins franchise, was losing game seven against St. Louis on home ice in the Stanley Cup final. That has to be the worst, right? I mean, I don't know. I've like talked to a lot of people about this, and I really struggle to be too up in arms about losing a game seven. You, it, it's the final day of the year there could ever be hawking, and the Bruins were there. So it's tough for me to completely call it a disappointment. I know there were favorites in the series. That game obviously just went horribly wrong. It's a disappointment the way they performed. But I don't know. Like I've been on a few different shows. I've talked to a few different people, and I struggle to be like, yeah, that was the worst because. They were playing on the final day of the season, and I think anyone would have loved to be there. I just – I look at it and I say the cup is in the building. You're on home ice. You have a chance to win it at home. Again, the Blues play better that series, 100%. But on paper, the Bruins are the better team. And you have it on home ice. The cup's there. You know, pro, you know an easy road to the cup final. Um, you know, one of the last shots at it for Marshan, Chara, Bergeron, that whole, that whole core. And you, you don't even, it's not even like it ends in overtime. It's not even like it's close. That game was over in the first. And to me, I just, the letdown of the game, the letdown of the situation, I know they made it all the way to the cup. I know there was no hockey the next day, which was a tragedy to everybody, but I just can't get over. I think that's the biggest disappointment of this decade for the Bruins. And there've been a lot. But the, the 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 magnitude of that, I think, was just too much. Yeah, I don't know. Again, I have a lot of trouble with any form of success being used as a disappointment just because, like, there are so many teams, like, the Ottawa Senators would love to, like, be in the playoffs. You know what I mean? So, well, I don't know. I just always have 
I just have trouble with that always. So if you, so obviously you, you don't agree with me on that. What would you say is probably the biggest disappointment of the decade for the Bruins? For some reason, what stands out to me is when they lost to the Capitals. That series, for some reason, the way that ended, like if I'm thinking about just off of memory alone of like what felt the worst at the time, that one's pretty up there. And then the second round loss to Montreal, I think in 2014, I think it was. Those two, to me, just stand out as a team that should have gone further than it did. See, I, um, I made a top 10 list, which I'm not going to say in, fully in this podcast because I want to save it for an article. You know, I'll, I'll get those page views. Um, hashtag content. Hashtag content. But I don't look at the 2012 one as, as a big – I didn't even put it in my top 10 simply because um, it's the year after they went to the Cup – they won the Cup. The year after – that just didn't seem as bad to me. The Capitals were, were, were a better team, in my opinion, and they won the cup the year before. It wasn't that big a disappointment there out in the first round. Obviously, it was an overtime winner at home, which sucked, but I didn't put that in my top 10. I will say, though, that Game 7 loss to Montreal is high on the list because that yeah. that's won the President's Trophy, and they that was another no-show game in Game 7. That was a That was terrible. It just, that's, I mean, you look at this here for the Bruins in the window they had to get through Toronto, Columbus, Carolina, and then they get to St. Louis, which I think a lot of people considered the Bruins to have the advantage in that series. Obviously, it didn't go that way, but you look at the window of the teams they would have played. That was a year where that was, on paper, a better Bruins team in the regular season, and they definitely had a path there where they beat the Red Wings and pretty much dismantled them. And then Montreal, and it, it just, that would have been a really good window of opportunity that year. So I think, like, the more I think about it, that probably has to be the most disappointing, aside from, I don't know, do we count the years they didn't make the playoffs? Because that's probably, like, worse than all of it, right? So I classify disappointment as anything. It could be a signing. It could be a season. It could be a, a season for a specific person. It could be a, a game. It could be whatever. So this isn't just limited to, to playoffs losses or whatever because on my list I mean my number two is the 2014 15 and 15 16 Bruins I couple them together even though they were two yeah, very that's fair. That, like that was a huge that was two lost seasons pretty much I mean 14 15 like Ty Anderson was saying this um when he was on two weeks ago he was like you know if you had said to anybody in 2016 that the Bruins would be in the cup final in 2019 they'd be like what are you talking about because after the 14 15 season you know, um, it felt like the core was dismantling. They lot, you know, they they trade away Lucic, they gave up on Dougie Hamilton, um, all this stuff. And you're like, and then fifteen, sixteen, you know, they show the starting lineup for the Winter Classic that year, and it's like a bunch of just Providence guys. So, in yeah. my opinion, yes, those two seasons are are big, bigger disappointments. In my opinion, the loss to Montreal, but still big disappointments. I'd also put in just like I know they made the playoffs sixteen seventeen, but that Ottawa series was brutal. Yes, but I don't know. I think the turnaround they made with Cassidy getting hired, I looked at. I remember after that series feeling like okay, they have something. McAvoy looked outstanding. Yes, they right. blew it and they lost in overtime. I feel, I feel like a hundred times that whole series. But to me, I didn't look at that as I, I look at that as an accomplishment that they even got to the playoffs because that team was on a course to just miss it the third straight year, right? Right. Yeah, no, that's reasonable just because of Cassidy's presence alone and building for the future and all that. So the rest of my list, I don't want to give it all away. I know I'm probably going to end up giving it all away, 
I have stuff on here. I'm not going to say where it's ranked, but I actually put on here, it's towards the bottom of my list, but this gets forgotten. But do you remember how bad the 2016 Winter Classic was? That game oh, that was awful. Sucked. That game was so bad. And I think people forget it because it's a just a regular, it's a game, but it's the Winter Classic and it's Bruins, Cabs, at Gillette, in you know in 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 New England and they what they lose four or five to one I mean it was a it was a crappy game it was one of the worst game regular season games I ever remember the Bruins playing it was so it was terrible. terrible it was terrible and and who had the Jimmy Hayes had the one goal and it was it just, just such, depressing in and of itself exactly and it was kind of the fifteen sixteen Bruins in a microcosm like all this not that they had all this hype. But they they were expected to do so much more, and nothing happened. And that was the game in itself. Montreal and, scored like twice in two minutes, didn't they? I honestly, Marissa, I feel like my brain scrubs my memory of that game, so I don't like you know like I. And actually, want, just checking on this, it wasn't Jimmy Hayes who scored the goal. But do you want to guess who it was? Oh, um, you're on the I right s- vein. I swore it was Jimmy Hayes. Was it Matt Bolesky? It was Matt Bolesky. It was really. I, heard, I thought I from Adam McQuaid and Ryan Spooner. I knew McQuaid shot it. I knew it was a tip, but I didn't rem- I thought it was Jimmy Hayes who tipped it. And that's so funny that Jimmy Matt Hayes Bolesky- took a roughing penalty. Oh, there you go. At least he did something. But I remember um, Mike Condon had that incredible glove save on Ryan Spooner at the end of one of the periods on a power play. I mean, it was Matt Bolesky a- was named third star of the game. Was he really? It was incredible. <laughs> What's funny is I was looking at Matt Bolesky's stats the other day, and I'm going to pull him up just to, like, make sure I'm not, like, losing my mind. And his first season in Boston, like, like everyone refers to his last year in Anaheim, which was 2014-15, as, like, is his career year. But he had more points than he did in Anaheim the year before when he first came to Boston. So in 15-16, he had 15 goals and 37 points. I'm not going to yep. say that's thing, and I'm not going to defend him because he, he eventually was a bust. But, like, he did – put out a higher production level his first year in Boston than he did his last year in Anaheim, which was his contract year. It's actually incredible, just because I look at the numbers now, too. In 16-17, he only played 49 games, but he only had eight points. And he was a minus 10. How did that even happen? It's, I I don't know. His fall, like his drop-off, I don't, I wasn't covering the team then. I, I don't think, were you covering the team then? Um, Not full time, but I was around. Yeah, so, like, I just totally forget his drop-off because, like, I always associate Matt Bolesky as just being suck, suck, and more suck. But, like, he didn't fully suck in fifteen sixteen. But then there's just the, the, the sheer, just, like, cliff he jumped off of in 2016-17 was, like, something I forgot. I just thought he was always bad. No, he was tolerable for a while. Yeah. So getting off of this, another thing I want to bring up is the Tyler Sagan trade, because that's going to be one that I think a mm-hmm. lot of people put at the top of their list. But I was looking back. And so I, I'll give this away. I put Tyler Sagan trade. I put it at fifth on my list because okay. Louis Erickson was good enough to, to, to be something legitimate. They got back. I mean, he was their leading point getter in 2015, 16 with 63 points. In 13-14, uh, he had 37 points, which really wasn't great. 14-15, he had 47. So, I mean, he wasn't amazing and he was not worth it, but he gave them something. 
And so that's why I don't put the Sagan trade higher because they technically did get something in return for Sagan. It just wasn't as good as Sagan and Sagan exploded with the stars. My favorite thing about that trade is if you go down the trade tree of what they ended up with in the end, like the final tally is Tyler Sagan for Jimmy Hayes. That's right. That's incredible that that actually That's was my like, favorite, favorite thing ever. I love trade trees. Like Fluto had one the oh, other day. Oh, me too. Month, uh, like a month ago on the Cam Neely trade. It's still like, I forget who they have right now, but like since that trade, which I forget what year it was, since then the Bruins have still been like reaping benefits and getting people from it. And I think that's so funny that like that's still going like over 20 years. That's now. incredible. Did so, they trade Jimmy Hayes or? No, they didn't trade him after that. Jimmy Hayes was. Well, he's the final piece. Yeah, so he was the final piece. That's what I thought. He, I, yeah, because he was bought out. Cause didn't they trade Riley Smith for Jimmy Hayes? Yes, that's why it's the final piece. My God. <laughs> and they let the defenseman go. Who was the defenseman they got in that trade? Joe Morrow? Joe Morrow. What a they weird... They let him go. They didn't trade him. So I know that they didn't get a return for him. And didn't then there was the to... other guy who ended up in Edmonton. Was that Frazier? Yeah, Frazier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They put him on waivers. I only so remember... So that was all cut off. I only remember him because the NHL Network was, like, analyzing the trade, and one of the analysts' last name was Frazier, and he was like, oh, that's my favorite part of the trade. And I remember thinking, like, oh, what a loser. But then I... Like, that's how I always remember the name. <laughs> There's nothing else. I mean, the trade, it's just... But so I don't put that as high... I don't... I put that at fifth. But I would be hesitant to put it higher. It was It was crap. But, like, they did get something back from that, you know? Like, it wasn't, like, What about, um, not to jump totally, but I don't want to forget. What about, we can you had the 2015 we... draft? So, I put that right after the Sagan trade. Because... Yeah, that has to be there. Oh, yeah. But, they, like, they got DeBrusque. They got Carlo. They just, they just blew it on those two picks after, which, you know, looks even worse now. Because Matt Barzal was the sixth. Or it was, um, it was DeBrusque there. De, well, in what do you mean? DeBrusque was 2015. It was, uh, yeah, so that draft, that was uh, Borrell, DeBrusque, Senechin. Yep. So, okay, yeah, so DeBrusque wasn't the first pick they had. It was, it was the middle one. So, they, and then you got Carlo later in the draft. So that's what kind of, the, the, the Brandon Carlo pick in the second round kind of made me hesitate for putting it higher. But it's still a big disappointment that they missed on those two of three picks they had in the first round. You look at the guys who got drafted after. Barzil, we know, but Kyle Connor, Thomas Shabbat, Brock Besser. It's brutal. Yeah, so that's the thing. I forgot about that. So Thomas Shabbat, obviously. Sebastian Ajo was in that draft. He was in the second round, but still. Is he really? Yeah, he was drafted two picks before Carlo. That's incredible that they – because everyone thinks of Barzal simply because, like, he was picked right after – right after Sanitian. But then after Barzal was Kyle Connor, then Thomas Shabbat, and yep. then uh, Colin White to the Senators at 21, Besser uh-huh. at 23, Konechny at 24 to the Flyers. Oh, my God. So It's actually, brutal. The more you look at it, the worse it gets. So that's the thing. Maybe the 2015 draft would go higher, but I don't know what I would – I don't know what I would swap it out with. 
because that's ba- that's bad, but I feel like the other things, they still got something from the 2015 draft. Well, yeah, Carlo and Nebraska, we look at the rest of the draft for the Bruins, too. They got JFK, and obviously that didn't work out. I mean, I guess technically TBD, but it seems like he's not going to be back with the Bruins at any time soon. Uh, Jeremy Lozon was fine when he was up. Uh, they just have so much depth at defense that it doesn't, it's kind of irrelevant. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, Carlo and DeBrus definitely make it not a total loss, but you look at, like, who they could have had, and it's absolutely brutal. And you're I mean, asking, like, it's all hindsight's twenty twenty. You never know. But I remember being in college and screaming on the television, like, Matt Barzal is right there, and then the Islanders trade up to get him, and it seemed like the most obvious thing ever. Well, I just remember Sanitian was, like, they were – that was, like, a project. Like, that was a – that was a huge stretch pick by them because they had three in a row. And I remember being like, it's the first round. Like, why would you do that? And, and, and the you're trying... a master of that. That's the thing. And they always try to, to like do Trent that. Frederick later on. I mean, John Beecher obviously was not on anyone's draft board, even though the more like I hear about him and the more I see him, I'm kind of like, yeah, I get it a little bit, but still he wasn't on anyone's draft board. So they've done this multiple times. That's their thing. And it costs them here. Cause obviously Barzal, Connor, Shabbat, um, Konechny, Besser are all big names, you know, in, in the NHL. So, yeah, the 2015 draft to me is 100% one of the biggest disappointments of the decade, um, simply because they've had missed first-round hits. But when you have three consecutive and you blow it that badly, like, I look at that, I'm just like, how do you, like, how do you even manage to do that? Look, I just looked up when they drafted Trent Frederick and who they could have gone after him, but the rest of that draft also looks terrible. Oh, Trent Frederick's draft? Yeah, I mean, looking at it, like, guys they could have taken instead, Alex Dabrinkit, but even still, like, he went, like, 10 picks later, so that's not an obvious one. And then Carter Hart, but, like, who cares? Yeah. That's uh, so, a, like, there's really that, nothing that stands out where, actually, like, they did their best. That's the thing, like... When there's a draft and you miss on one pick in the first round and the rest of there's like, you know, like 15 picks after your pick and like two of the 15 are really good. Like, I don't really put that on the team because that's just, you have no idea. But when you have three straight and then the three taken like literally right after your 15th pick, after the third pick they had in the draft in that first round, the three after when they are all superstars in this league, that's when you're like, how did you? How did you miss that? It's just like everybody knew. Another funny thing that I'm just noticing from this, and and maybe my stats are wrong. I'm on hockey reference right now. If you look at it, so Jacob Zaboral was the Bruins' 13th pick, 13th overall pick. Went to, he was with uh, St. John uh, of the Q. Uh, Thomas Shabbat, so Zaboral's also a, a, a defenseman. At 18, the Senators picked Thomas Shabbat, who was also on St. John who's also a defenseman. They were scouting the defense core of St. John with Zaboral, and they missed on Thomas Shabbat. Like, I think that's an even bigger storyline that a lot of people look over. Yeah, I kind of, whenever talking about that draft, it's always Barzal. Yeah, I mean, I saw Kyle Connor a lot in college, and I remember thinking at the time, too, he's right there. And then, like, it didn't really kind of hit me until at some point last year with Shabbat. I was like, wait, he was in that draft, too? And then I was like, oh, man, like, that's just as bad as the rest of them. Yeah, I mean, just thinking the fact that if they're scouting Zaboral's games, like Shabbat's on the ice as well. There's nothing that says they can't look at him as as him too, and they just missed on that. So I, I like that's something that 
gets overlooked a lot. Obviously, everyone looks right at Barzal, but the miss on Thomas Shabbat almost maybe seems more heinous in a way. But I mean, who who really knows? Um, something that gets that's going to get overlooked, I think, a lot when people look at a list of disappointments for this decade. And I put this in my top ten. I'm not going to say where I put it. I got I got to I got to get that content. Got to get that stuff up on the web on the website. Got to get those page views. Um, the, the, the Philadelphia debacle in 2010, that three nothing. Oh, I know we counted that as this decade. I count 2010 as this decade, right? That's the decade. Okay, then yeah, that's number one. That's number one. That was the most brutal, awful thing ever. I didn't put that at number one simply because they won the cup the next year. And a lot of people say, like, Mark Recchi said, like, oh, yeah, like, that was a big reason why we won the cup the next year. Like, we were all driven. So I didn't yeah, put that as – Yeah, you're up 3-0 and you blow it. And then you're up 3 nothing in game seven and you blow it. I think that's, like, the worst thing that can happen to you in sports. Yeah, so I think a big part of that that also makes that sting even more is they if they'd won that series, which they all by all accounts should have, they go on to play the Canadians who, I mean, they had Halak in that. I, you know, the Flyers disposed of them. I don't know how quickly, but they beat them. And I think the Bruins would have had a fairly good shot against them. And that would have been a crazy Eastern Conference final between the Bruins and the Canadians. That would have been nuts. Can you imagine? Insane. That would have been absolutely insane. And even cooler with that was in 07-08, the Bruins and Canadians played in the first round. They went to seven games. And then in 08-09, people forget the Bruins beat the Canadians in four games. So it would have come down to 09-10, where they would have played for the third straight year in the playoffs. And it would have been the Eastern Conference Finals. And then they played the next year in 2011. So that would have been so cool, I think. And then they would have went on to play the Blackhawks, which, I don't know. I mean, the Blackhawks in Miami. They were kind of just starting up as a dynasty. We've seen that story before. We've seen how that goes, Bruins, Blackhawks. Well, at any any rate, I didn't put it up as high that high. But, like, in the in the context of 2010, that was one of the worst things that had ever happened to the Bruins. Like, that was... That was t- horrible. There was no excuse for that. I would debate putting that higher, but I feel like everyone forgets about that because they've won a cup since and been to two more, right? I don't know. This year in Carolina, in the Eastern Conference Finals, when the Bruins lost three games to none, there was, like, this entire narrative about, oh, it's like the Flyer series, and people kept asking about it. I was like, this is... So not related to anything. It's amazing. But people were talking about it like crazy. I think people are talking about it partially because there was nothing going on in that hurricane series. Like there really weren't a lot of storylines to jump at. And it was just kind of boring. I mean, I know, I know people are jumping me for that, but I mean, it was not the most intriguing matchup with the hurricanes. I, I just feel like a lot of stuff from 2010 gets, forgotten because of 2011 like I was doing top 10 goals and I'm not going to say where I put stuff but there was a lot from the 2010 playoff run in that first series with Buffalo that was actually electric that people forget about I think a lot. that Buffalo series was great an incredible series and they weren't and the Bruins were a six seed the Sabres yep. were a three seed and and they what did they beat them in six no, I don't was, remember yeah I believe I won six games it, I mean, and the Bruins were up 3-1 at one point. I'm actually going to look that up right now because that was a series that, I mean, and you had Ryan Miller who was playing out of his mind back then. And they weren't, and he'd just come off yeah, the Olympics. Yeah, six games. Six games. And they were not supposed to win that series, and they did. And, and that was wild. I just remember that being crazy. 
It was. You mentioned the Blackhawks. The two goals in 17 seconds in 2013. That has to be something that you would... Uh... Yeah. Again, like, I don't want to contradict myself a ton because, like I said, you get to the Stanley Cup, I have trouble viewing it as a disappointment. But if we're going to call St. Louis a disappointment, I think that Blackhawks series was much more disappointing. See, I disagree simply because the Blackhawks were a wagon then. And, and, and ki- the Bruins were kind of, but the Blackhawks were like another level of it. I mean, they were kind of... Were... Like, that felt like more missed opportunities. Like there was a, I think it was game, oh God, I think it was game four. Then went to overtime. We're like five to five and Johnny Boychuk tied it. It goes to overtime. Yes, yes. Probably missed the open net. Like that one just stands out to me as one of the most disappointing games in Bruins history that I can recall. And then obviously the two goals at the end of uh, game six there, those two things being in the same series to me, I don't remember two like iconically awful moments in the St. Louis series like that. Yeah, I don't either. I mean, that was there were games where St. Louis just played better. That was just, to me, like, again, that doesn't bother me because I'm like, okay, well, they played better and they won. Where the Chicago series, you were just like instances where you're like, oh, they could have had that. Well, the Bruins could have had a chance in game five if Achari doesn't get that phantom trip when he gets tripped. Right, but that's also like nothing of their fault. So I don't know. To me, that it's different. Then it's going to different territories for me. I put the Blues one higher simply because they should have won that series. The Blackhawks were the better. Like, I just felt they were. I don't know. Like, we say they should have won the series, but why? St. Louis played better. Going into the series, the Bruins were the favorite. Going into 2013, the Blackhawks were the favorite. That's sort of what I'm going off. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. There's so many elements of that St. Louis series where I don't feel like the Bruins mishandled some things. Like, I think David Backus probably never should have been in that series. I didn't like dressing the seven defensemen. There were things, but I don't know. As far as from, like, we're talking, like, from a disappointment, we're talking, like, a pure heartbreak standpoint, right? Yes. Then I'd say Chicago was worse, I think. See, I think you could make an argument that this, the entire St. Louis series was a disappointment in some ways. Because what's funny is that series started out, the Bruins won game one, the Tory Krug has that huge hit, everyone's talking about yep. it, you know, and then they go to St. Louis in game three, they trounce them on home ice. And when that series, that series changed in game four, when Ryan O'Reilly, a minute into the game, scores a wraparound on Tuka Rask, and that's when it was like, Wait a second, we have a new series. And and yeah. I think for Ron, it was a disappointment for the Bruins. So I mean I characterize game seven because I'm trying to look at one specific moment, but I mean the whole series, as you said, could be argued as a total disappointment. I, it's just like to me, sports goes two ways, and sometimes the other team plays better, does the right thing more, and there's more of a reflection of that than anything else. And while again, I think there are some things the Bruins messed up for sure, and there are moments in that game seven where like Marshan messing up on that line change at the end of the first period. There are definitely elements of that. But I just look at it as a whole and I'm like, well, let's just play better and sometimes that happens. So to close things out, I want to ask you, are there any disappointments that we didn't mention that you would probably put if you were to do a top 10 list? Um, I think we covered everything I could think of. Um, the Flyers one to me is the ultimate and I kind of didn't realize we were doing 2010 for whatever reason, but I would have jumped on that right away. To me, that's just like, that's the worst. And then the draft, like I mentioned, that ranks up there because that's just like long-term repercussions. Um, so I think, and then the Washington series, I mentioned, I know you disagreed, but for me, 
just the whole vibe of that series, it ended and reminded me so much of the Carolina series where Scott Walker won it. Oh, yes. Like so parallel. It was so parallel. It was, like, spooky. So that's why I had that up there. But, like, those are my top three off the top of my head, I guess. See, my parallel for the the Blues series, I don't remember a lot of 09 when they lost to the Hurricanes. I, w- I don't know how old I was, and I just don't remember a lot of it. But the parallel I had was um, the Canucks in 11. Like, they I, just they lose game seven on home ice. Um, you know, this upstart team. I mean, the, Can- the Canucks were the much better team in 2011 on paper. The Bruins, I thought, were the better team on paper coming into this series. And then, you know, the Bruins out-tough the Canucks in 11. I thought the Blues out-tough the Bruins in, in uh, 2019. So it was just – that gave that series gave me the vibes of what I got from the Canucks in 2011. But I, I see That's the – That's not par- a bad comparison at all. I, I never thought of that, but you're, you're not wrong on that. Yeah, I tweeted that after Game 7, and I got killed for it. People were so <laughs> I said that. I think everyone was getting killed left and right on Twitter after that game. That was the only game that I've left the Garden – losing followers like I didn't gain any I lost 10 followers that night I didn't that was very I lost well I was like what did I do wrong and then I was like wait a second the Bruins just like lost the Stanley Cup so like it's probably not my fault oh I've lost like 50 followers this summer and I'm like it, it just has to be the repercussions of the team losing I guess yeah I remember I did a pod I did one of the Bruins beat after the cup did like astronomically way worse than the ones before it. And I was like, was it because of like something I said? Was it like, and I'm like, what? like people just don't want to hear it. Like they lost. Everyone was just sad. Everybody was so pissed that they like could have won game seven at home. And they, that's why it's my number one disappointment. I know it's not yours, but that's why I think for me, it has to be it. Anyways, Marissa, thank you so much for joining. Um, hope you have a great rest of your summer. Uh, do you want to plug anything? Thank you. Um, read the Boston Herald, please. That's about it. We love the Boston Herald. It's a great publication. And uh, Marissa and Steve Conroy do a tremendous job. Anyways, uh, for CLNS Media and Bruins Beat, I'm Evan Marinovsky. Have a great rest of your week. 